welcome to this episode of the Future Champions podcast. My name is Stuart Taylor and in this episode, we'll be speaking to Brian Collins about his top moment in sport for 2021. We've been talking to a number of people about their top moment in sport for 2021 and Brian's is quite different. Brian Collins, thank you for joining me in the Future Champions podcast. You're welcome here. How are you? I'm very good. Now, before we get on any further, we, we know each other quite well. You're from Scotland. Uh, you're in finance. I'm in Australia and I'm not in finance. So how do we know each other? We share the same uh, grandfather and grandmother. Uh, we're cousins. Your brother, your father, sorry, was my mother's brother. And what, what do you do in Scotland? Um, I own an investment company. Started a business in 2013. Uh, been in finance for about 20 years previously. That was in the Royal Air Force. Um, but I've been doing finance for a long time. I'm starting to get tired, Stuart. I'm, I know I look 21, but I'm kind of feeling as if I'm on my way out, you know, <laughs> ready to take some time out. I'd imagine it would have been a hard few years. Yeah, pandemic's been tough, but probably in our line of work, you prove your worth when we get through tough times. Clients don't really want to speak to you when everything's fantastic in the world because they don't really have to. There's been a lot of hand-holding. Sometimes I feel like sitting under my desk with a tin hat on as the market's plummeting. But we've got through it okay. I've not lost any, any money yet, put it that way, so it's good. You are also very much into sport. You love your sport. Every time we talk, you seem to have a very passionate view about anything from football to boxing to rugby union uh, to tiddlywinks or swimming. Uh, why are you so passionate about sport? Well, first of all, can I say, I think you guys should free Djokovic. I mean, what's going on over there locking that poor guy up, you know? <laughs> um, I love sport. But I think when you, you live in a country with the weather, as I showed you earlier on, it's snowing outside, you tend to spend a lot of time sitting by your television. So, but I've lived all over the UK, so I learnt my love for rugby when I moved out to Wales when I was in the Air Force. Football was instilled in me by our papa and took me to my first ever football game and a few games after that. And boxing, I don't really know where the boxing thing came from. I just, I, I think maybe... Mike Tyson, you won't remember this, but in Scotland, before you had Sky TV and live fights and pay-per-view, if there was a boxing match on, even a world heavyweight title fight, there was a programme in the UK called Grandstand at 12 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and everything was shown on that, horse racing, wrestling, my big daddy, all this sort of stuff. And I remember seeing Mike Tyson for the first time at 17 when he fought a football called Green, and it was his first attempt at a boy. He did win it at 17, 18 he was. And they won the, the heavyweight championship in the world at that age. I sort of fell in love with that because if you read up about this, the guy that he fought and took for that in that fight the first time I saw him, he then ended up having a punch up with him about four years later in a close shop in a really dodgy part of America. And the guy came hunting for him and he ended up suing Tyson and getting millions off him, although he'd actually attacked Tyson. So I've loved boxing. Some great Scottish fighters I've really fell in love with. And my wife's got a passion for boxing as well. So we've actually flew down to London to watch Tony Bell fight, David Hay. We've been everywhere to watch boxing together. It's a good day out as well. That's fitting to actually talk about what your top moment in 2021 was. What did you select as your moment? It's quite tough. There was a big 2021 was a big year. The Euros and um, stuff like that. 
But I went for Yusik and Andy Joshua. One of the best heavyweights in recent memory. A chance to prove it again tonight, but he faces what many consider to be all around his toughest challenge yet. Alexander Usyk from the Ukraine, and here we go. Todd Grisham, Darren Parker, and Roy Jones Jr. ringside. I used to love Joshua. Thought he was like, do you know when you want your heavyweight champion in the world to look like somebody, a Rocky movie like Ivan Drago? That's what Joshua was like. You got all these big heavy guys with the big belly and all that sort of stuff. That Joshua was like a male model. He was like sculpted from stone. So you wanted your world heavyweight champion to look like him. He lost to the polar opposite of what he is to the boy Ruiz in America. And that sort of flattened him a bit. But I felt the Usyk fight was career-defining for both fighters. Usyk being a, a cruiserweight, moving up to a guy who was much bigger and he had no right to beat. And Joshua having to put his stamp on the heavyweight division again so he could get a Fury fight or all this sort of stuff. So it was just that if you love boxing, you can understand the importance of certain fights. And that was a really important fight for Joshua. It was probably more important for Joshua than it was Usyk. Usyk was undefeated, still undefeated. Joshua had lost to the boy Ruiz, um, and he needed to win that fight. You could kind of see the pressure was on him. He didn't think, I don't think he thought he could win that fight. I think he realised that Usyk was probably a better fighter. I thought it was career-defining. I think it's kind of, I know he's, he's, he's got a rematch clause in it, and I know he's actioned that, so he's meant to be fighting him again. I don't think he will. It's quite hard to motivate yourself when you've got thirty million pound or fifty million pound, whatever he's got sitting in the bank, to go off your boat in Dubai to go and let some Eastern European guy punch you in the face. And I think he's lost the fight. Where I would say Usyk still got eye of the tiger now, like Clubber Lang in Rocky Three, but he's he's determined to climb all the way to the top and stay at the top. I think Joshua's lost that. I think he's he's too celebrity now. Too many chat shows, too many TV adverts for links to Odom. He's lost all the things that make you a great boxer, which is hunger. So I thought it was a really important fight, and it was a great fight. Going into the fight, you talk about Joshua being the celebrity boxer, uh, being that picture postcard of what we think uh, a heavyweight boxer should look like. Usyk's from Ukraine. Joshua's from Britain or from, from England. England. <laughs> if he'd won, he would have been from Britain if he, because he lost his from England. Yeah, this is our revenge for Andy Murray. Every time Murray loses, he's Scottish, and every time he wins, he's British. <laughs> so this is our turn. <laughs> in the eyes of uh, the media and in the eyes of a lot of people, Joshua was the favourite to win the fight. Yeah. Why did you think that Usyk would win the fight before the fight started? Hunger. I think... Some boxers are invincible. As a Mike Tyson always once said, famously said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? And that's what happened to Joshua when he lost to Andy Ruiz, the, the heavily overweight, small Mexican guy. He was he was meant to be Joshua's breakthrough fight in the States. Joshua never lost against Usyk. Joshua actually lost against Ruiz. Right? Because what happened was, he was invincible at that point. He'd beat Klitschko. He'd beat everybody that had been put in front of him. But when he fought Ruiz, he realised that he wasn't invincible. Muhammad Ali lost every second fight. He didn't care. He still got up and then beat the next guy. Joshua had never really tasted defeat. 
not in the professional sense anyway, he's a professional fighter, and he realised he could be hurt. And then when he looked at the guy that he'd lost against, and then the guy he was fighting in Usyk, I think he realised that it was a similar guy, smaller, probably more agile, although Ruiz was a big guy in terms of weight. And I think he realised that, as I say, Eye of the Tiger, he had the Eye of the Tiger. He was determined to win. He was confident. When you watch the fight, you can see at certain points, he realised he can't, he can't lay a glove on him. The last round was really important because it was the, the most amount of punches that Joshua had ever taken in one round of boxing in his whole career. He got landed with 29 punches in the last 20 seconds. I think about 15, 20 of them landed. And Joshua was just holding on. He just wanted to, he just wanted out the ring. I read a book by Stephen Hendry, the fantastic world champion snooker player. And he always talked about how he got up at seven in the morning and trained for 12 hours under in his basement, in his house. Played himself at snooker for 12 hours a day just to the lunch break. And one morning he'd turned over and turned the alarm off. And he said that was the day that he lost his world title. He had 7 million or 17 million in the bank, whatever it was. And he thought, I don't have to get up anymore. And he turned over and turned the alarm off. That was the end of his career. And I think Joshua, when he's got to fly back to the UK, because he lives in Dubai, and when he has to fly back to the UK to train, I think that's just taking away from his life. He doesn't need it anymore. Well, why would you? You know, I think Usyk's got a hunger. He still wants to prove something. I think Joshua realises... No matter what he does now, he's still lost a couple of fights. And in boxing, as I said about Muhammad Ali, right, you're always in heavyweight or any boxing now, you're always everything. You, if you lost your own, you're undefeated record, then that's a real stain in your career. You go back to Sonny Liston, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, all these fantastic heavyweight fighters in the 70s and 80s, they were getting knocked out all the time, right, and then get up and it was great they would get beat and then go back and beat the guy up. Right? And that was part of the game. Now, if you lose your role, nobody really wants to watch you. If you lose two fights, nobody's interested. Which is a shame in a way because it teaches athletes and boxers not to take risks, not to take the fight that they could potentially lose uh, at the risk of losing uh, a zero on, on, on a win-loss sheet. I, I think there's a risk to boxing if if boxers start concerning themselves too much with the O? Well, that's already happened, Stuart, and boxing is financially doped. Boxing is really run with very few people. I mean, in the UK, Eddie Hearn decides who fights who, and that's it. Now, if you think Eddie Hearn, for example, he makes zillions of pounds off of somebody like Auntie Joshua, not just in his boxing, but his marketing, his TV shows, his adverts, his sponsorship deals. Eddie Hearn wants that to last as long as possible. So he very rarely puts him in front of anybody dangerous. So that's why Joshua's not fought the likes of Fury. He fought Dylan White, fought him a few years ago when they were younger. But he's not really fought anybody. He's just fought his mandatories, who the, the belts tell him he's got to fight. But he's not too going to do any Wilder. I mean, he's been a heavyweight champion for six years now. He's not fought Fury. He's not fought Wilder. These were the most dangerous guys. He fought Klitschko, but Klitschko was 41 when he fought him and hadn't fought for three years or two and a half years. He was a name, but he, was, he, he wasn't relevant as such. Still a great fight. But the people who run boxing want that financial waterfall to run as long as possible. And then when he lost against Ruiz, he went back and fought in the, the Middle East. They fought in Dubai. It was a nothing fight. It was an absolute nonsense fight. And he's brought him back to the UK. 
Um, Joshua was meant to go and track America. He'll never fight in America again. If you ask Yusik, he would fight Auntie Joshua on the moon. Do you know what I mean? He would fight him in my back garden if he could fight him. You know, so, so would Fury. I want to take you back to the actual fight. The fight was in London and very much a crowd for Joshua. Usyk's the underdog by most standards and he's also in a, in a hostile crowd. But there is no doubt from a mindset point of view that Usyk turned up to fight and Joshua just didn't. Is that fair to say? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It was Rocky IV, right? Sylvester Stallone goes to Moscow to fight Ivan Drago. He uses the home support against the home fighter by a brilliant performance. And if you watch the fight, at the end, Usyk was loved by the audience. Joshua isn't actually that popular with UK boxing fans. He's got a big fan base, but there's equally a, a lot of people who dislike him. He's got a, a lot of people don't like him because of the celebrity. Boxing purists don't want their fighters to be on the Graham Norton chat show on a Friday night. Do you know what I mean? They just don't want that. They want their guy in the gym. Um, so you see turn the audience against Joshua. You watch a fight, listen to the sounds, coming towards the end of the fight, the crowd wanted Usyk to win because he was the one that was putting on the performance. And then you, you go to the championship rounds or rounds 10, 11, and 12. Uh, Usyk's clearly on points going to win. Yeah, ahead. And it's clear that Joshua's corner would have told him he needs a knockout. And he came out trying to change his mindset from being, um, I guess, a bit tentative and being risk adverse to putting it all out there and really trying to take the win. Anthony Joshua's got to win these final two rounds. Looking for the big shot. Good jab by Usyk and a follow up by a backhand. AJ still seemingly not quite fully balanced. Oh, big shot by Usyk. He's he's oh, 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 How hard is it for a boxer in those championship rounds to actually change mindset and really go for that win? Well, it changes your game plan because every boxer, especially at that level, they give me a game plan and they train for that game plan for months. That's all they know, right? They do have a plan B or a plan C. They get put in their bum, all that sort of stuff, right? But he was sticking his game plan. He never changed it until the championship rounds and they should have changed it in round four or five and they realised that it wasn't going to plan. Uh, I think he is, if you talk about mindset, I think he's fragile. And I'll take you back to Nanti, the, the, the Ruiz fight. And you watch him sitting in his corner. If you if you go back and watch that fight, and he's talking to his trainer, and he's going, why do I feel like this? Why do I feel so down? Right? And he couldn't lift himself. He was getting beat. Right? And he'd be put on his back. And he couldn't lift himself. And he didn't know how to lift himself. A true champion will know how to change that and fix that and get rid of these demons and he's get yeah, he has got a lot of demons. And that's why I think when I say that he lost the Usyk fight, he lost the Usyk fight to Ruiz. Ruiz finished him, not Usyk, although Usyk beat him, if you know what I mean. He changed his mindset. So I don't think that's why I don't think he can come back. Equally with Joshua trying to change his mindset, it's often a scary proposition for any fighter. 
when they are so close to victory, uh, they can often lose it for themselves by psyching themselves out in those rounds. Uh, but it was very surprising to see Usyk just be as steady as a rock. And like you said, he actually lifted his level another level, which, which just would have blown Joshua out of the water. How do boxers manage to maintain that when others fall apart in those rounds? That's why you get champions. That's why he's fought 19 fights and never lost a fight. There's very few fighters that have got that ability. There's a Scottish fighter now who's number two, I think, pound for pound, fight, best fighter in the world at the moment, a guy called Josh Taylor. Good, good name, Stuart Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to see him in February fight, um, and he's fantastic. And he's a three-weight world champion. So he's fought at three different weights, and he's got that mindset. He just does not think he can get beat. I think what Yusik done in the final round, and that's true what you say, it's, it's easy to get into your shell and say, I've won this. How many times have you watched a fighter say, I've won this fight, I'm just going to take a step back and make sure that I don't get knocked out, right? But Yusik knew that he was so dominant. What he'd done was, any thought of Joshua might have had of trying to blast him out the ring in the last round, he took that away from him by doing it to him. And he was fitter and faster and punching harder. And that any notion that Joshua maybe had to come out all guns blasting in the last round and hit him an uppercut, that was gone. He just ended up trying to defend. Joshua was just trying to get out of the ring. He wasn't trying to knock him out. He just wanted to survive. That's what a real champion does. Somebody who's got 100% self-belief in their own ability. And that's what, that's what Yusik definitely is. He's one of these sort of fighters. All three scores go to the winner by unanimous decision. And new You've mentioned Josh Taylor. He's an up-and-coming boxer. Am I right to say up-and-coming, or has he been... No, no, he's not. He's well-established. He's 30 years old. <laughs> um, and he's, he's a three-time world... Do you know what he done? he done a thing that Scottish fighters have found hard in the past. This is infuriating. See, when you live in the UK, Stuart, all we get is English sport, right? Um, so, for example, if Scotland are playing Argentina tonight and England are playing Brazil tonight, on Scottish television, we would have to watch the England Brazil game, and if you want, if Scottish kids want to watch a Scottish game, they have to buy that on Sky, right? So that's the way it works here. So Josh Taylor's a three-time world champion, three-weight world champion at th- three times, and he's had to do it the hard way. He doesn't get any exposure in Scotland, but he's all over the telly in America. He's went to America. He's won all the all these belts. He's done it the hard way in Las Vegas the really, really hard fights against the Mexicans. We've got a sort of change in mindset in Scottish sport at the moment. Our, our rugby team, I've got no fear of going to Twickenham and beating them now. We can do that, no bother. We've done it. Australia, I'm sorry to say, the last three times we've played Australia. Scotland could never beat Australia at rugby. The last three times we've played you, we've now beat you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Champions podcast, Brian. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I, I couldn't help myself. A football team. A football team is now that a a plethora of players playing at the highest level in England, Tierney at Arsenal, McTominay at Man United, Billy Gilman at Chelsea, although he's alone at the moment, he will be back. 
with the Nathan Patterson's just went and joined Everton. And I seen young some young Aberdeen centre half today, a guy called Anderson. He's eighteen year old. He's a fantastic player. Newcastle United and Man United are fighting to sign him today. And you mix that with the local talent we've got in Scotland, guys like Carl McGregor, James Forrest, all these players. We've got a really, really good national team now. So I think fitness is really important in Scotland now. I mean, me and my wife are in the gym twice a day. I was up at your top, but been up at five o'clock this morning, and I'm up at five o'clock every morning. And five o'clock in the morning in Scotland, by the way, I'm just going to show you, looks like this. It's dark and it's snowing, right? Yeah. Ethan was up at five o'clock this morning, seven mile drive, in a swimming pool for two hours, and back out, you know, and he does that every morning. But he's a, he's a future champion of British swimming. You know, our swimming team in the UK is fantastic, and it's dominated by Scottish swimmers. Scottish swimming is booming. And the reason it's booming is because our weather's so bad. Kids want to do indoor sports if they're good at it. So in a nice warm swimming pool, it's really attractive, you know. So You mentioned Ethan. Now, I know who he is. Can you tell me who Ethan is, the, the swimmer you referred to? Yeah, Ethan's my son. Um, he's 12-year-old. He's disqualified for the National Scotland team at swimming. He shouldn't really have been that level until he's at least 14. But he's a 12-year-old. He's, probably the, he's, a, he's the fastest 14 or 15-year-old in Scotland, but he's only 12. <laughs> he is brilliant, yeah. And he's a winner. He's, he's just a winner. You ask him, I sit in the car at five o'clock in the morning and I'll try to give him a motivational chat. Now, I know it's difficult, son, getting up at this time in the morning. And he's like, Dad, it's easy. It's, it's just not even a thing to him. I, I think it's hard. He doesn't think it's hard. Yeah, you're probably giving yourself a motivational speech. My third McDonald's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, talking about that and that mindset that Ethan has, that's not something that when we say caught up in 2007? 2006. And that's when you sat in my living room carpet with myself and Johnny and um, Scotland were playing France in the Parc de France. And you were sitting there dead excited watching a Scotland game in Scotland, your family's roots, and me and Johnny telling you we were going to get pumped and not to get too excited. And you said, no, nah, no, nah, we'll win. And then James McFadden scored a goal for about 30 yards and we beat them. Yeah. Maybe that's where my, maybe that's where my mindset changed on that night. That PMA, positive mental attitude you, you put across that night. When you talk about, um, I guess, positive mindsets and particularly of a nation, and I want to talk to you about, say, the, for example, the Australian, the normal Australian mindset. Australia could lose three or four games in a row in any, any competition, in any team. And if Australians sit down to watch the game, they will assume that Australia's going to win. And then if Australia loses, they'll go, don't worry, we'll win the next game. Whereas when I was in Scotland, the, the, the cultural mindset of supporters seemed to be completely different to that. Like you said, we're going to get pumped. We're going to get pummeled. We're going to get destroyed. We're a hopeless team. We can't win <laughs> You can live in a state of denial, that's fine, but it's a much better place to be when you start watching a, a game thinking that your team's going to do well. Yeah. Why is it that um, the Scottish mentality at that time seemed to be so negative? It was even in the talkback radio when you drive back from a game. Radio Clyde Ford, I think, see, 1978, Stuart, 1978, we, we were going to the World Cup, right? And Scotland actually believed that we were going to win it, right? We definitely made at least the one of the best four teams in the world, right? 
If you watch Liverpool, Man United, all the best football clubs at that time, their team were full of Scots, right? We, we really had a chance to win it. We didn't even get past the first round, right? Because some of our players, and I mean, one of our players stole some jewellery, another one got caught doing drugs, right? It's, I mean, that's Scotland. Do you know what I mean? So we've had fantastic teams and still failed miraculously, right? Also as well, we're playing Europe, so, and I'm not knocking the, the Pacific tournaments that you guys play in, but, I mean, we're playing against Germany, Italy, Ukraine, France on a regular basis, just to qualify for a tournament. So it's, it's really difficult, but that has changed a lot. We've got, we've got really good players now, really good players. And there's no reason why we can't compete. I think that we've now changed our mindset. I think this team believes, because we've got a fantastic manager, much like Ange, Steve Clark's definitely a man-manager. He knows how to put his arm around the shoulder and also coach and not talk to his players when it's needed. Um, he's a really good coach, and I think he's installed that with us. But I think the nation, just in every aspect of sport now, but as I say, we're doing well at just about everything. I mean, we've got the, Scotland currently is the world's strongest man, right? We've, the, I don't know if you ever watch the world's strongest man tournament, right? Scotland's got the world's strongest man. They've got the number one American wrestler in the world is actually for Glasgow. We've got a fantastic rugby team, fifth in the world, fourth in the world now. Got a good football side. Good golfers, we've got brilliant swimmers, good cyclists. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing pretty well at anything that we really throw a hat at now. And the country kind of believes, I think. And the, the people are getting behind them, which is really important. So I think that's what's changed. Let's go back to boxing. Where do you see Usyk going from here? I think what the world would like to see is him fight Fury. That would be an interesting fight, but it won't happen. What will happen is, Usyk will end up fighting Deontay Wilder, I think, because that's a big money fight for both of them. And that'd be a real interesting fight because none of the two of them are that big. Um, they're a good fight. Brian, thank you so much for sharing that. What's your tips for 2022? The only thing, and I, and I can honestly say this, right, I know there's a World Cup towards the end of the year and Scotland hopefully qualify for that. The only thing for me involves an Australian or two Australians, and it's Ange has got to bring the title back to Celtic Park, which I think he will do. Whoever was the visionary person in Celtic that saw this guy and thought this guy is quality and took such a big risk because if he didn't succeed, uh, there would be an egg on everyone's faces. But he's come into Celtic and completely, yeah, completely changed the mindset. The style of football, Stuart, is incredible. The pace that we attack with, he will win the league. Our, the style of football we've got now, we've got two games left at Celtic Park against Rangers. The style of football, it's if they play their best game, nobody can stop it. We went to Germany and we've scored three goals. We've never scored a goal. German soil, we scored three goals in one game. We can't defend, we're getting better. But it, he doesn't care so many. We conceded two goals against St. Johnston, I think it was, but we won 4 2 or 5 2. And the commentator said to him, um, or the reporter said, You've conceded two goals. Are you upset with that? He went, I don't, he said, I don't lose sleep about conceding goals as long as we score more goals. Yeah. He said, I don't care. Yeah. And that's like going back to, remember we talked about boxing, losing your own. He doesn't care about his own as long as we win more or we score more. And that's, that's what success is. It's, it's understanding that failure comes and being able to respond to it. Yeah, he's amazing. If you then look at what Ange Postacoglu has done for the likes of another Australian in Tommy Rogic, 
He's amazing. He's an integral part to our team. He's, he's ability. I've never seen a player that can control the ball in such close quarters. And he's not a small guy. Right? He's a big guy. He's quite a tall guy. But his ability to shift from side to side, find a pass, he makes football... He just makes football look easy. And it's like... The best sportsman always makes sport look easy and he makes football look so easy. That doesn't happen by accident. You don't look like a really struggling player. A year later, not even a year later, six months later, you are just scintillating. Fit, strong, powerful, a true footballer in all sense of the word. He believes in the system. There's a guy called Anthony Ralston that plays for us now. Anthony Ralston was the worst footballer at Celtic Park. He was horrific, right? He was loaned out the last two seasons and he was his career was going to end. He might not even have made it as a footballer. Ange came and because we'd lost so many players at the end of the season, he had to play Anthony Ralston. He's only 90, he's only 20, 21. He had to play him because he had no other defenders left. The guy's a right back. Anthony Ralston has went from a guy who was going to not be a professional footballer eight months ago. Anthony Ralston's now just been picked for Scotland. Right? Mm. And it's a mainstay in the Celtic team. We've actually got one of the best other right-backs in, in Europe, a, a Croatian guy called Juranovic. He's a, he's a captain of um, Croatia, one of the, the, the number two captain in uh, Croatia. He's their number one right-back player, right? And Anthony Ralston's keeping him out of the team. This Scottish kid that was going to know about football, the cause of Ange has made him believe in himself and that's all he ever talks about he says I believe in the system the manager believes in me and all of a sudden he's just he's getting picked for Scotland he wasn't going to be a footballer six months ago it's incredible Brian I, I do want to ask you one more question and I think it's a really important question is it true that as a mad Celtic fan that after Rangers games particularly ones where they lost that you would ring up the callback sports radio in Glasgow as a disenfranchised Rangers supporter and give your view on the game. Yes, this is true. And I get two brother-in-laws, as you know, my wife's brother, Alan McCausland, and my sister's husband, Johnny Canning. So on a Friday evening at between 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock, there used to be a Scottish football phone-in. So I would use two names. I would be either... Johnny McCausland or Alan Canning because I knew they two were listening to it, right? And I was phone up saying, my name is Johnny McCausland for that call. And then I would go on this absolute, totally, because it's a Friday night show, so they expect a bit of colourful language. And I would go off on this total absurd rant about blaming Celtic and Peter Lawwell for everything and... Do you know what I mean? The, the one who's against this and Nicola Sturgeon hates Protestants and I just went to this whole time. And then I would receive loads of messages from myself. Team mates going, Is that how many glasses of wine you had tonight, Brian? We could turn up with you. <laughs> but I became a bit of a celebrity, a bit of a, a bit of a cult following. Because a lot of Celtic fans kept after a few weeks, they started realising this is the same guy, but he's using a different name, you know. He's either Johnny McCausland or Alan Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness me. And I think they knew in the radio station, but it was good fun. The, you know what the thing is? It always made me laugh, right? Because I would be reading social media and they'd read this really absurd comment. So I would use something like that, right? Then I'd be sitting there thinking, I'm doing a parody of a Rangers fan, but there's Rangers fans sitting in their living room 
<laughs> agree with me. <laughs> and I'm doing it as a joke. <laughs> and folk before I went, Aye, that last guy, Alan McCausland, I'm totally with him. I think the Catholic Church is running Scottish football. The secret is, you had to sound angry, and I had a voice for it as well. Oh dear, this is Alan McCausland. <laughs> no, this sort of deep, really lap call voice. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Yeah, do you want to? Can, can can we actually finish with you uh, as a as a radio caller complaining about Celtic? In fact, I've got. One four one nine five one one zero two five. It's time to talk football. It's Clyde One Super Scoreboard. You are the voice of Scottish football. Call zero one four one nine five one one zero two five. Clyde One Super Scoreboard. Johnny McCausland calling for that call and I think you bloody Australians should free that fantastic tennis player because he's a right big Rangers fan that man <laughs> a conspiracy so an Australian wins the tournament <laughs> Johnny McCausland thank you for joining us on the Future Champions podcast it's okay Alan Cannon you take care of yourself <laughs> one of yours <laughs> Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Future Champions podcast, the top 10 sporting moments of 2021. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other great episodes from 2021 and 2020. My name is Stuart Taylor. Stay safe.